My guest today is an Irish horse racing icon. Jessica Harrington has, from her family-run stables in Moon County, Kildare, won the biggest races the sport has to offer in both National Hunt and on the flat. Jeski, Alpha Centauri, Sizing John, Moscow Flyer are just a few of her world beaters that have flown the flag for her and Ireland that just trip off the tongue. And yet nobody seems to talk about her previous life as a three-day event rider representing Ireland at European, world and Olympic levels, or as a mother who decided to transfer her life back to Ireland when she didn't like the direction it had taken at just 23 years old. Well, I'm delighted to say we get to talk about all of this and lots more but if you'd like to hear the full conversation including jessica's thoughts on the it factor of some horses and not others post racing horse welfare rachel blackmore and her surprising trick for coping with stress just buy me a coffee head over to patreon.com forward slash irishman abroad And for just the price of a cup of coffee, you can hear the rest of this interview and hundreds more with the likes of A.P. McCoy, Ruby Walsh, Richard Hughes, Mick Fitzgerald and the legend Pat Smullen. It's just a cup of coffee, but it's how I fund this show and how I'm hoping to see this thing lasting long term. And I promise you, if I meet you in person at some point, I will buy you the cup of coffee back. That's patreon.com forward slash Irishmanabroad. But for now, sit back and relax and enjoy the beginnings of my conversation with Jessica Harrington. That's the small talk. Now let's go down to business. Now, your programme. What's the big idea? Well, they've grown to know the Irish much better. We've now got to know how largely their mind works. I moved over here and immediately I had to up my game. I could not have done the job I, I did for quite a number of years in Ireland. I had to go and earn my living in England. I think a lot of it's in my hair. I think there's a lot of Ireland in here. I had an Irish upbringing. 20 years after an Irishman couldn't get a fucking job, we had the presidency. It was some heightened awareness of how hard my tribe had had it in London. No blacks, no Irish, no dogs. Never has a nation so small inspired so much in another. So you could say there's always been a little green behind the red, white, and blue. Our family is very Irish, you know. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special announcement to make at this stage. Would you welcome, please, the wonderful Charlie Thrigo! Jessica Harrington, it's fantastic to finally have you on Irishman Abroad. I think I asked you a couple of years ago to do it. And, you know, the time, it never seems like a good time for horse racing people because it is, it is so consistent. The work is so constant. Does that ever get on top of you or is it just what you understand life to be? Um, I suppose it's what I understand life to be. It's just, it's it's the same thing. You get up every morning and you look at, you know, you do the horses and train the horses all morning and do something else. Well, I used to go racing in the afternoon, but I don't any longer. So I used to spend most of the afternoons in my, in my garden. But no, it's a constant. It's just constantly, you're always doing the same thing, but basically it's different every single day. You have no idea when you go out every morning what's going to get thrown at you. It can be good news and it can be bad news and it can be disappointing news. Hmm. So that must force you to have an even keel at all times. Would that be something that that you successfully do or is there anything in particular 
that raises the temperature? Oh, there's plenty of things that raise the temperature, but what I have learned to do, and uh, it's probably over the really probably over the last seven years since Johnny died, because he was my sort of get let off steam to. Now what I do is I've learned to park things. I, I de- have a problem, I deal with it, and then I shove it off to one side. And I said, it's there, it's parked. If it, wants, if it wants to come back, I can address it again. Otherwise, it's parked. So I have this great thing. Things get parked. I think it sounds a bit crazy, that, doesn't it? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know because, you know, I guess it would depend on the thing, wouldn't it? So, so when it's an a-, a live animal, you know, you can't really park uh, the animal because it's a bit like a child you, that, that you can't no, no, you, can park the problem. you can park the problem what i'm saying is you can park the problem hmm. you can say right i've addressed that problem this is what we're going to do let's don't worry about it you know because I, I, I tell you what you can start worrying about everything hmm. you know every little thing so therefore you've got to cut otherwise you'd go mad i'd never sleep at night at all because i'd be thinking of all the things had I done or hadn't I done and what was I worry about and I should, you know, and I've just stopped that. You know, you, my parking is parking the worry. You deal with it uh, as best as you can and then the, hopefully you then don't get agitated with the, you know, there's that lovely thing in the middle of the night. It, to me, it's always about between about half past one and half past two if you wake up and you get that awful cold sweat. And I've forgotten to do something or I've done this or I haven't done that. The great thing, having done in during the day, parked things. I said, "Yes, no, I've done that. That's okay." So you stop worrying about it. Mm, that's the way I did. That's what I did with it. Yeah, I mean, mad as I am. Well, it sounds like an amazing skill that loads of us struggle with. I mean, in fact, I bought Adrian, my brother, a, a book just last month uh, called "Living on Top of the Volcano," and it's about football managers and one of the one of the words in it that he said really stuck with them was everything seems worse in the middle of the night <laughs> <laughs> it does and it, it, i promise you and then you wake up in the morning and you 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 know your brain is actually and it is totally scrambled and then so when you wake up in the morning you said oh why was i worrying about that that's that's fine i'll do this this and this and the problem solved you know, it's it, it, like it's a. I guess that this is when we, when I start with this kind of line of questioning about the constant nature of it. I, I think I talked to you about this at the Curra once, then when we were doing the uh, Champions Weekend. That uh, growing up yeah. in horse racing, I found that that consistency of it quite hard to to handle because there never seemed to be rest time. There never seemed. It was always on to the next. Onto the next, onto the next thing, onto yeah. the next race. But that ability, yeah, it, it, it has to be one of your your strengths. You have to be able to go. That disappointment is behind us now, and everything yeah. that's to come will depend on how we cope with that. Is that correct? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that'd be great. Because I tell you what, the you know the only certainty in my life is that disappointments are going to be far outweigh the elation or whatever else they can, the success or whatever. There are unbelievable amount of disappointments. And it's learning to cope with them, evaluate them, get the best out of it. Okay, you're disappointed because the horses run well, but did it, when you look back at it, have a really a realistic chance of winning that race? Was that other horse always better, going to be better than it? So, you know, you have to 
it's sort of kind of the way I, de- I deal with it is, you know, look back at your disappointments. Yes, they're horrendous at the time. And then you, you reevaluate them and then you park them. Hmm. Let's That's go. Th- Let's... My three, three stages. Yeah, I mean, let's, I want to go. I want to go right back because when I was preparing for our conversation, uh, uh, one thing that struck me, and I put it to my son yesterday, walking him home from school, was that you said that you had no recollection of ever being taught to ride a horse, and he was like, "That's amazing! Somebody who, who, who's riding horses has been so part of their life that they literally can't remember it in the way you can't remember your first steps." Uh, you know, I asked him, is there anything that he couldn't remember that way? And, you know, we could identify a couple, but they were all fundamental things. Does that strike you as odd or was that like or was it just a case of, yeah, that this this animal was so much part mm. of your life that it was like somebody with their first trike? Yeah, most likely. I'm just trying to think, can I remember riding a bike? I can remember riding a trike. And I don't remember because I would have gone straight. There would have been no such thing when I learned to ride a bike the, of stabilizing wheels. You'd have just pegged on, someone held on to you and pushed you off. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, you know, so I do, va- I do vaguely remember learning how to ride a bike and falling off and cutting my knees mm. uh, because that's what I always seem to do. But riding a horse, I just always, as far as I can remember, I always knew how to ride. It was just one of those things. I, I suppose I was put on a horse or a pony, rather, you know, when as soon as I probably could sit and I was sort of pulled around on it. And and it went from there. And I just basically don't actually remember actually the learning to ride, the learning to rise, the balance. I think it was just there. So would would you, you obviously returned to Ireland really early on, 18, 18 months old or so? You, you were when, Yes, it was. I was 18 months old when my, father, when my parents came back to live in Ireland, yeah. So what... So what I, what was the first memory? Because I'd imagine that with your father having served in the British Army, that it, it, it was your upbringing is different. I mean, everything I read is homeschooling and yeah. kind of not maybe not being having the typical upbringing. I suppose I thought it was totally typical because I was doing it. (laughs) (laughs) You knew no different, Um, yeah. I knew no different. No, first thing I remember, we we, we lived in a house called Carmelin House, which they'd rented for two years. And I just remember the inside of that house. And I can remember the gardens and I remember where the spare bedrooms were. You know, it was sort of certain things that I can just remember. And then, but I, le- I left there when I would have been three and a half, maybe four, three mm. and a half when I left at 50, I'd say. Or in 1950, I think we moved to um, Ras Milan and we had the house in the middle of the village. And that I do remember because I remember that was just, I was, I was very lucky. I always had a lot of freedom. As far as I can remember, I was able to ramble anywhere I wanted. You know, even as a kid, you know, yeah. it was just the garden out onto the road. Didn't seem to be any. No one seemed to really mind. I suppose they did mind to keep an eye on me. But like, it was just the same thing with riding ponies. We were, you know, once we learned how to put the saddle and bridle on, my brother John and I, we were we were off riding and playing cowboys and Indians and doing t- everything we shouldn't be doing. That 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 child, like you, you, we all look back on our childhoods, and I, I think we 
we kind of marvel at who that person was and how maybe the seeds of who we are now were sown then. Every Everyone that I could find that talks about you talks about your work ethic, your honesty and your energy specifically. Do, do you remember or and, and you yourself refer to your own stubbornness? Do you remember that? <laughs> do you, yeah. do you uh, work ethic and, and you know, that kind of yeah, well, I suppose we had a work ethic. Like, I, I can remember as a kid, like, you know, uh, we'd we'd get up in the morning, have breakfast. And then in, during the, in the winter, we had to bring up wood for the fires from the from the from the cellar, which it, it had all been chopped up and put in there. But the job was for John and I. And then it was for whoever else was there. We had to go down and carry up wood. And that was the thing we had to do. I just remember it. We had to do it every single day during the winter. And I suppose it was sort of the start of what one got used to. If you, did, you were told to do something and that was your job, you did it. Yeah. Uh, it sounds very simple. No, it does very, sound simple, you know, but it is not, beginning not, 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 every not, not, single day with labour. Yeah. Mm. And, you know, we had the same thing with our ponies. You know, we might have had ponies, John and I, but, like, we had to look after them. You know, catch them from the field, get them saddled up as soon as we were big enough to be able to do it. You know, make sure that they, they were looked after. And, and that flowed on to when... Uh, we we started hunting, uh, going with the harriers or the foxhounds. It, the phone we came back from hunting, even when I was nine, ten, eleven, um, hunting, um, the, we we had to always see to our ponies before we were allowed inside the house. I mean, when was, when uh, you don't uh, go to school uh, outside in the community, John, your late brother, must. Like your connection with him and your friendship with him, with him, I mean, it uh, must be. No, he, yeah, uh, yeah, but he, like he was sent off to school when he was eight. He okay. went to school when he was eight. He was sent to school in England when he was eight. So and I was then on my own, and I had a friend who came and and, and you know did it. We did lessons together or homeschooling together, uh, but then after, I remember just something that we did. Then we would be sent down to the national school in Rathmillan the Protestant National School in Rathmanland to, to have um, religious education. Okay. <laughs> that was, you know, one, one day a week we had to get out for religious education. <laughs> An hour from the, it sounds crazy now that that was because whoever was teaching us, probably, I know exactly why, and this again will make you laugh because probably our, our, our teachers who were teaching us were, were Catholic and we were being brought up as Protestants so they weren't deemed to be, be able to teach us the Protestant faith which sounds very strange now but it was it was sort of the norm yeah were you and easy to teach do you, do you remember being someone because obviously there's this there's this period and then there's the you know there's the time in Paris that it gets referenced in a lot of interviews with you that you went to a finishing mm. school in Paris. Yeah. And by your own admission, uh, you weren't really <laughs> invested in it. Like you weren't too interested in being finished. No, not too interested. I was interested in certain parts of it. Like, <laughs> I love the freedom of the age of 16 being sent to Paris. Yes, that was lovely. That was great. <laughs> um, and living with a French family and um, going to day school and... Um, that, like the freedom of it was uh, was was actually great, and I loved the art side of it. That's what I did love. But like um, that was 
about it. Well, that was my finishing was probably getting more like let, let's learn French, let's learn about art, and and how about the freedom I had? That was that was brilliant. Hmm. Were you uh, an ambitious person though? Because like really, if we look at your life and the things that you've achieved, to some extent, the people that I talk to, of you know the those in in certain fields such as horse racing now uh, would have decided early on that's what I'm doing but I just don't get that impression when I look at where it all began and how it got to where it did <laughs> what was the dream when you were that age like, or know. was there a dream the dream was to ride horses go travel love traveling you know I went to America when I was 19 for six months Five months. I travelled around America. I had a, a ticket, $99 for 99 days on the Greyhound bus. And I went from the East Coast of America to the West Coast of America, staying either with sort of friends of friends of friends and along the way or staying in. The, I soon found the cheapest places to stay were the um, hostels. And so stayed in those and they were the safest. So, you know, I, I just um, I just enjoyed doing it. It was sort of, again, freedom and being allowed the freedom to go and do it. And that was in the days of and I don't know how my parents let, let us off. And my brother did it before me and then I did it uh, like there was no mobile phones. I suppose if you were really pushed, you could have rung home. But it was sort of that would have been sort of almost a life and death scenario i'd say yeah. um but they didn't half the time they had no idea where i was the thought nowadays of me losing what, <laughs> even when i did have the children were younger losing them all for not knowing where they were uh, i would have had a heart attack yeah. i mean it sounds it sounds nearly like a life lived in reverse in that if you're to look at the absolute diligence and drive and work and uh you know, laser focus that's needed to run what you're running now and achieve the way you have in the last years. That's associated normally with that period that you're describing of traveling and kind of, you know, just surveying the world. Whereas most people your age would be doing that now, would be, you know, traveling mm. around and taking it all in. <laughs> How much do you think that maybe getting all that out of your system then contributed to you kind of ramping things up as things went on? Yeah, because I sort of, I have probably done it back to front because then what do I do? I go and get married at 21 and move to England, you know, I have two children, married to a farmer, you know, so I then lived that 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 life as you want to you know over there and and then when that didn't work out i had a sort of a yeah sorting myself out and then i came back and married johnny came to live back in ireland do you, know, you so do you mind me asking why that didn't work mm-hmm. out is that something that you talk about oh it is very much so my i've got two lovely children and david is a lovely person but um he actually had an alcoholic problem which I didn't realize, and uh, when I did realize, I said, no, I can't. I, I, I didn't stand to, to change someone because I just, I'm a bit, especially then, I was very black and white. If it's not going to work, it's not going to work. That was basically, mm. you know, and probably, and that was the way I looked at it. And was there any part of you that thought, if you sort yourself out and come back to me, we could rekindle this? Or was it a case of, like you say, black and white, that's done? What I, you know, I think 
uh, I think when you're younger, it's a great thing of youth. And I really, it's a thing I regret in old age. When you're young, everything, there's very little gray in your life. Things are either right or wrong. Yeah. And, and in a funny way, there's very little compromise in your life when you're young because you, know, you think uh, most people when they're young, they have, they, they have their beliefs and they, know, they, they, they think they know where they're going and what they're going to do. Mm. <laughs> it's a great difference. Well, when you have children, it's quite difficult to change them if they're going off in the wrong direction. <laughs> yeah, 100%. You say yeah. you spent a year kind of sorting yourself out. What did that entail? Well, I had to, I went to, I was still living in England. I had my children to look after and I got a job so I could sort of, you know, keep myself sane. And I did that. And, you know, it, I think you, you know, you, you don't want to rush from one relationship into another, you know, and I just took a bit of time, you know, took time really, I suppose, more than anything else. Uh, and in that time, is it, is it a, a bolt from the blue love at first sight with with Johnny or is it something mm-hmm. something a bit more gradual? <laughs> <laughs> a lot more gradual because I'd actually gone out with him before I'd actually married my first husband. So oh, okay. <laughs> it was it was what you call a slow burner, but you see, when I was going out with him when I was what, 19, 20, he was 10 years older than me, and there was a bit of a large gap between when you're that, and I think I, I think I, I know exactly, I was impossible, to be honest with you, probably. How <laughs> <laughs> so? How so? I just, you know, I just was impossible. I, 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 I was probably not, I hadn't grown up. And, um, As in impossible to uh, please, impossible to be around. Uh, no, what I was just, it? it was just difficult. I probably was difficult. He was older and saw the world in a slightly different way than I saw it. Right. So when when this is this, <laughs> I was, it is, it was impetuous yeah. those days. Okay. So anyway. when what so what changes then? How do you know that this is this is you're going to roll the dice? Like a lot of people would be sworn off, uh, you know, marriage at this point. They'd be like, nah, I can't. They, these they they would see this as a an idiot's venture. But you you were like, no, I think this oh, can no, work I, with I, this I, guy. Straight, yeah. <laughs> I had to will work with this guy. Yeah, I kind of, you know, I got a bit more sensible. And, and as I told him himself, I said, I didn't object let Johnny, you know, yeah, yeah, I probably have always loved you, but I actually, what I really love is your house. And I think it's fabulous. <laughs> and I think that'll, that, that's it. <laughs> I always used to tell him I, I married him for his house. <laughs> what, what, you know what's, what's really extraordinary? I really couldn't. I couldn't quite understand why this doesn't get mentioned in connection with you very much at all, unless people really want to scratch the surface or or, or, or dig a bit deeper into it. I think it was only Marion Finucane that maybe mentioned this to you, was your, you know, trips to the Olympics. I mean, you are an Olympian, Jessica. Uh, mm-hmm. what, what, what did that, first of all, how does that come about? And how soul-destroying is it to get there and then the animal pulls up lame? It's like being hit in the guts at the time. Listen, I was lucky enough to go to Los Angeles. I'd had a very good horse for the three years, the four years before that, actually. I would have probably gone to, if we'd been allowed to go to Moscow, but there was an embargo there. And so we only went to the substitute, what they referred to as the substitute Olympics. Mm. Uh, So then four years later, it was in Los Angeles. I'd hoped to have the same horse, but that went lame. So then I had another horse, which I bought on myself, and he got all the way out there. 
and uh, went lame, which was, uh, look, it's one of those things, you know, what do they say? It's a, it's, it's good for me. It's good for making you grow up. Mm. <laughs> Did you cry? Um, but you know, it's again, it's one of those. Just, Did I cry? No, no, no. Just felt shattered. Mm. That was basically it. And then I said, right, I'm out here. I better pull myself together. So, um, and see, do, do the best I can for everyone else. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't. Became, I became chief. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, I don't. I don't think. I don't think anybody really knows that much about three day eventing. I, d I really think as as much as a, a sport can be a niche sport, that's a niche sport Ooh, to people that that don't quite get it or understand it or really all they know of is, say, the Dublin Horse Show or whatever they might have glimpsed on the TV every now and then. How would you describe what the skill of three-day eventing is? Well, it's basically, it's the total all-round horseman, really, because you've got to do dressage. The horse has got to, the horse and yourself have got to be able to be well enough schooled to train to go, you know, and do a dressage test, which is precision. It's rather like doing ballet. Mm. You know, the horse has got to do so at the right time. So you've got to do that. And then the horse has got to be fit enough uh, to go cross country the next day. When I was doing it, uh, we used to have to do things called roads and tracks, which was uh, you did four miles and then you did nearly two miles of steeplechase, then you did another five, six miles of, of roads and tracks, and then you did the cross country, which is the actual wow. all the jumping. So you then ha you, you had to do this on a very very fit horse, and then the horse had to come out the comes out the following day. And does the show jumping, which, okay, you would look at it and say, oh, that's very small. But when you think of what they've done for the first day, you know, being on best behavior, as it were, do all the right things. Next day, show bravery, courage, stamina, uh, and then come back pretty stiff and sore. If you'd run a marathon the day before mm. and then you were told to go and do a couple of sprints or what I can't think of, run a couple of hurdle races around the track, you'd be a bit sore. So you've got to, you know, the horse has got to be able to be fit enough to do that and be sound enough. And the rider then, again, has got a different skill set in riding cross-country to riding show jumping. So you've had three completely different, as it were, disciplines all rolled into running over the space of three days. It's astonishing, um, really, when you lay it out. When you lay it out like that, it is... It is bananas, really, and must yeah. result in, you, you know, again, the layman listening to this now is like, how do you must think, how do you even train an animal to do those things? First of all, the first thing you mentioned is horse ballet. Uh, but uh, <laughs> it, uh, my first thought is this must be where your understanding of this particular animal gets like it's university fine tuning yeah i suppose it is you 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 know you you have an animal and it's got to have the temperament to start with to, to be able to you know do what you want it to do it's got to be brave because if it's cowardly or a little bit you know i don't think i like that it's not going to go cross country it's got to have stamina and it's then got to be sound and, and then also when you come out to the show jumping you know those poles all knock down and they've got to be able to jump clean over those even if they are a little bit sore and stiff so when you say sound let me pull you there for a second uh, i mean 
I, again, I've, I've grown up with all of these words around me. <laughs> Sometimes I would pull my father <laughs> at, the, at the dinner table and go, how can a horse be sound? <laughs> <laughs> easy it, it to get along with pies is round I mean how is that? <laughs> to describe sound is one of those things God you know, it's, <laughs> to me it's a sort of second someone says oh that's sound that's fine I know exactly what they mean mm. uh, sound means the horses can trot um, in a straight line and they are not showing any favour to any limb Okay. so they're not limping at all there's so no limping out of them. Right. Okay. And, and also when we describe that's a sound type of horse, uh, basically his conformation is pretty good and he doesn't have anything that you think will go wrong when he's put into full training. So when, Whether it be for racing or show jumping or whatever. So, so my father would go out to my brother in Kentucky and one of his responsibilities when he's there is to, you know, go to the cells and go around and essentially talent spot, find find these yeah. animals and take a look at them and, and get a sense of them. And this is obviously a, a, a really valuable skill when there's this kind of money at stake. How does a person do that? It's a question I've asked my father and it's one that I love hearing the answer to. I'm interested to hear what yours is. Is in the in the world of you need to hear the rest of this chat just buy me a coffee head to patreon.com forward slash Irishman abroad one cup of coffee and you get the rest of this and hundreds more conversations like it our chosen charity partner is as always jigsaw.ie if you or any young people in your life are struggling mentally through this pandemic maybe jigsaw.ie can help them or maybe if you have a couple of quid extra to spare you can help jigsaw.ie cope with the 400% increase in demand they've seen for their services. That's jigsaw.ie, the chosen charity partner of an Irishman abroad. Thanks to Brian Connolly for his production, John Marr for his extra research team and Mikey for making it all possible. And come on over, join me for that cup of coffee on patreon.com forward slash Irishman abroad and hear the rest of this conversation with the brilliant Jessica Harrington.